Welcome to Through the Firewall, conversations with Force 3 about the changing world of IT and network security. Welcome to episode 12 of Through the Firewall. I'm Martin Thompson, and today I'm sitting down with Pete Burke, a senior technical consultant with Force 3. How's it going, Pete? I'm doing well. So Snowden and Manning, these are the faces we see when we think of the phrase insider threat. Uh, We associate insider threats with intentional leaks from disgruntled employees, but that's only a small piece of the puzzle. So today we're going to talk about three specific types of insider threats, uh, the malicious, the negligent, and the compromised. So Pete, why don't you give us an overview of what is meant when we say insider threats? All right. So um, as you mentioned, insider threat has uh, many different faces, if you want to put it that way. Uh, We're going to talk about three of those uh, today. But to give you a better idea, uh, insider threat is generally any type of a compromise to either, you know, a a business or an organization that may have been caused by someone from within that organization or within that business. So not saying that they intentionally did it. A lot of times it's cases of uh, stolen credentials and things like that, but it's usually uh, somebody with the ability to access or, uh, you know, appropriated access into an area that is going to be exploited to be able to gain either information or gain insight into uh, an organization or uh, whatever type of uh, information or even in some cases, uh, you know, proprietary type information, blueprint types of, of things, um, things, intellectual property and things like that. So there, there's a lot of different angles or a lot of different reasons for this type of activity, but it's typically always something that has uh, valid credentials or, you know, validated cre- credentials to be able to access whatever type of information they're trying to get at. Uh, the specific characteristics when you look at either the uh, malicious, the negligent, or the compromised uh, insider threat. So uh, starting out with the easiest or, or, or the one that you think about the most and, you know, going back to, you know, a Snowden and Manning case, uh, that's definitely going to be one that's just completely uh, malicious. Uh, they're doing it with the intent of pulling information out and being able to uh, share that w- with outside sources or to give that information over to another party or a third party that it wasn't meant for. Uh, in those cases, it happened to be, you know, government secrets, and uh, you see not even in just cases where information uh, is coming out for them, but you see a lot of different examples. Uh, if you just look at WikiLeaks and look at the amount of information that's out there, a lot of it is government, some of it is not. A lot of it is uh, different commercial entities and people that, uh, you know, maybe an employee, former employee, people that have a grudge against, you know, another you know person or entity and uh, putting you know airing out dirty laundry or uh, putting information out there that's going to potentially be harmful or have a negative impact to a company or an organization whether or not it's you know within public trust or whether or not if it's maybe on the bottom line looking at you know stock prices or things like that things that are negatively going to impact you know a a company or an organization. 
The second type of insider threat that, you know, we're talking about today is uh, just negligence. Um, It's typically a situation where an employee doesn't know or maybe they may not uh, be informed or they haven't been trained properly on how to uh, use a system or uh, in other cases it may be a developer who doesn't know enough or security isn't enforced within either the development process or within you know their code checking the QA process when they're going through uh, before you know a piece of software or something is released uh, that you know may have vulnerabilities in it that are able to be exploited. Uh, in most cases, though, it, it tends to be uninformed users or, or, or users that. Uh, don't really understand the importance and what their role is within, you know, corporate security or organizational security where, uh, you know, to put it plainly, they think that, you know, 16 character passwords are dumb and, you know, they don't know why they have to keep changing their password every 90 days and why can't I just, you know, write it on a post-it note and stick it on my computer monitor because it makes it easy to, you know, find then and I know I won't get locked out of my, my machine. It's just making me, it's making it harder for me to be able to do my job because of all these security measures in place. Well, they're there for a reason. And when you have, you know, users that either are, are lazy or they lack the understanding of why they're there, uh, that tends to lead to negligence where you have um, where you have the users with their passwords on a sticky note or something on their keyboard where someone can easily get it, or they're using very weak passwords or the same password in multiple systems across multiple domains, however you want to look at it, to where it's something that somebody can guess. If I know, you know, for example, Martin, you, if you live on Madison Street and uh, you know, I, I could pick out, well, maybe your password might be your address or it may be part of your zip code or a combination of your birthday or something that you could easily just uh, either within um, looking at a couple bits of information about a person, uh, kind of pick out their, their passwords or, you know, different patterns that they would use for, for passwords. So that's something that, um, you know, it's usually because the person is is misinformed or, or not informed to the point to where they have an understanding of why those measures are in place, uh, but just trying to make things easier on themselves, and it tends to leave, that, leave them in a position where they could be compromised, mm-hmm. where their identity could be compromised. Right. So you're saying I shouldn't be using Martin123 as my password? No, or password123. Lowercase or uppercase P doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. Um, you, you know, and if I, I guess so, to give a good example of this, right? So one of the biggest complaints is having uh, you know pa- password complexity, and talking about insider threat, and it typically being uh, being known credentials or good credentials, valid credentials within the network. It's one of the things where, where you look at, well, why do I have to have a 16-character password? What's the significance of that? Well, that has to do with people that are, you know, much smarter trying to uh, come up with, with ways to keep the bad guys out. But when you have a, a password that's over 16 characters, 
the algorithm that's in use on the background, uh, say, you know, in your Windows machine or whatever, uh, the algorithm actually is much stronger past 16. It, the, the password isn't hashed at that point. Uh, it's not stored locally, so it's not something that can be accessed. Uh, when if you know somebody's trying to look for snoop for uh, information through somebody's machine or whatever so so there are you know specific uh, reasons for these these measures that are in place or you know complexities and things like that and like and I wanted to give an example of that why do I have to have a 27 character password or whatever but you know the magic number is 16 anything over 16 isn't hashed so it's not stored locally you're not able to uh, you're not able to, to break that cipher it stops at that 16th uh, character and anything after that isn't there. So uh, that's one of the things where I think if uh, the users had maybe a better understanding or had more information there and understood, well, this is why it has to be over 16 characters, I think there would be a lot less uh, griping and, you know, the, the intentional acts of negligence, uh, you know, uh, from, from that standpoint would, would definitely uh, go down or the, the amount of those incidents would, would decline. And how about the, the compromise insider threat? What are we talking about when we say compromised? Okay, so compromised threat is unintentional or uh, it's actually another actor that's uh, using valid credentials or, um, you know, if you want to say, put it a different way, authentic credentials into a network or into a system to be able to gain unauthorized access. So that a lot of times goes hand in hand with, the negligent user where you know if you have the same passwords for uh, multiple systems or um, multiple applications maybe you use the same for your computer and your bank or something like that where because of the fact that you're choosing to not really take uh, the security into consideration there and taking whatever is going to make it easier or simpler for you to be able to remember these different passwords and using, you know, the same password over multiple uh, systems, which definitely, you know, in this case would be negligent. That puts me in a, in a situation where if I have my machine, which is compromised, or say I have a piece of malware or a virus on my machine that's uh, trying to collect my passwords or trying to gain information, uh, my machine at that point is compromised. However, the next step of that is as it's collecting those passwords and, and is collecting information based on the information that the compromise is collecting on my machine, it's going to start using that information to be able to try to access different uh, machines uh, to try to use my credentials or passwords. And then it starts to set up and look for different patterns. Like I am using the same password across, you know, multiple domains or multiple systems. Well, okay, well, I know it works in this, so let me try it over here or let me try to, uh, I'm just looking at your information or, you know, that piece of malware is just looking for the user's information and they're going to try to log in to multiple systems or different places across the network just to see how far they could get and what they could access. In a lot of cases, when you look, you know, at a compromise there, that's, you know, a malicious actor within a system or within a net network that is trying to take advantage of, you know, user negligence and hoping that they use the same credentials in multiple spots or, you know, in different, because 
in a lot of cases or you know the the majority of the cases the the credentials that they're getting are not the ones that are going to get them to their target it's going to allow them to move laterally across the network until they could find the correct information or the correct credentials to be able to get into something else so you know the whole point or, or you know that entire game is just trying to get credentials so you know you're thinking okay well we're, we're talking about insider threat but now you're talking about an external actor or somebody else from you know a, another company a nation state or something like that gaining access into our system well they're external yes the, and they were compromised the system to be able to get there so we talk about you know insider that threat based on a compromise well that's the definition of it you infiltrated a system or a network but once you're there the whole goal what you're doing is using valid credentials to get around a network and be able to fish or try to find different areas within the network so that you can get additional sets of credentials and continue to move around the network until you're able to access the information that you're looking for so pete we see a lot about the malicious threat in the media, especially on the federal level. It's given a lot of attention. But it seems like these other two types of threats, they have a tight grip over the federal agency as well. To what extent? How often are these other types of threats happening? Like, how worried should we be? Okay, yes. Uh, so, it, it, actually, in the order that we went through these um, the, the different types of insider threat, we actually went from least to most, if you want to put it that way. So if you if you take it backwards and you start at the end and you start with the compromised insider threat, that's where the majority of your uh, compromises or the, the majority of the actions are going to be taken. So uh, in most cases, and I, the, the figure is closer to 75 to 80%, when you're looking at these three different types of uh, insider threat, the, the compromise is going to be the biggest one and it's going to be the most largely seen. Uh, the reason for that is because it's the easiest to be able to accomplish. So uh, it's a lot easier for a hacker to write a piece of malware or to write um, a virus or something that's going to come in and it's going to farm for credentials or it's going to uh, install a keylogger to be able to, uh, to to pick up all the keystrokes and uh, you know put those in, in, into a log or a text file uh, so that you could go through and try to get uh, you know banking information or uh, passwords to systems uh, that can be done anonymously in a lot of cases it is uh, and that can be done in a way where it's not able to be traced back and it's a lot easier to accomplish. Uh, that leads to looking at you know the, the second type of insider threat that we had spoken about, which is the, the negligent insider threat or just uh, user negligence, where in a lot of, of cases the, the compromised or you know the, the malicious insider threat uh, either or are trying to, exploit the, the negligence of uh, you know users or you know systems within the, within a network uh, however in a, in a lot of cases it's uh, 
easy to guess passwords or, or patterns on passwords, not randomized, uh, things like that where, where you can get a little bit of information and be able to uh, use that information against somebody to be able to try to guess their passwords or to gain access um, or, you know, to get them to click on that email link so you could exploit their system. Uh, so you end up, you, you know, the, the negligent insider threat ends up, you know, being used more in, you know, compromise. Uh, but that's what you're trying, even when you're looking at it from, you know, the compromise standpoint, that's what they're trying to do is exploit the, the negligent user to be able to get that compromise there. But the compromise is, you know, the, the majority of what the focus is. Uh, you know, you could throw different appliances or different um, solutions at a compromise but you can't really do that with a negligent user. Uh, you know, that's something that's more along the line of, of user training and, uh, you know, security awareness and different, you know, programs like that to make sure that the users are aware of this and trying to educate them so it doesn't happen. Uh, but, you know, the, the negligent users, the, the second piece of this or the second biggest piece, but it's one that I feel that is not, is probably addressed the least. Um, and then, you know, moving to the one that you see the least, but it's, it seems to be the one that makes the most headlines is the malicious insider threat. And, you know, in the last couple of years, we've had, you know, the two big, the, the, when you look at Snowden and Manning, um, you have two really big cases there, but it's because of the sensitivity of it. And the reason why that gets the most publicity or you see the most about that is because you're the, basically media outlets are able to put a face to to the the, the compromise or, or to the threat and be able to sensationalize that and make a, a news story out of it i could talk about uh north korea trying to or, or you know china or whatever trying to hack into the government millions of times, you know, per year, which happens because they're constantly trying to explain, get into different systems or uh, social engineer and stuff like that, trying to farm and gather information. Uh, but you're going to, you're making a generalized statement there saying, oh, well, it's a country or what, and it's not, you know, everybody, it's, it sells within, you know, the, these different uh, organizations or different countries or, or things like that, but you can't really put a face on it. Uh, what, I mean, from a media perspective, how do you talk about something as broad or ha as general as that? Um, and with all of the uh, amount of effort that goes into that, the small amounts of information that they get out of it isn't as big as somebody walking out of the NSA with a drive that's filled with government secrets. You, you think, you know, from trying to trying to attack it from a compromised standpoint or, or look at it from a compromised uh, insider threat, it may take years, months, decades to be able to gather that intelligence to make it worthwhile when you have a case of two users that were, or, you know, Two, two individuals that were able to get information out in, to the masses in bulk and be able to do it by walking out with, you know, one drive or whatever, be able to do that. So it, it's, you know, the ability to put the face to the name is what, or, or it is what makes it 
so easy to be able to uh, spread that story around, but it's just, you know, the, the sheer amount of information that came out of that uh, and the effect that that had on, you know, a lot of our government programs um, it, it is what made that so, you know, sensational. It made it such a large news story where, you know, you could do that, that information comes out, that story, all that information's there immediately where in order to, you know, create a story or, or to be able to uncover and show the entire the, the the entire system or the the entire process for the other two types of insider threat it's a lot harder to explain and a lot harder to, to uh, be able to put out there in a way that you know general population would understand and uh, be be able to you know believe or uh, you know have enough knowledge to to really see how big of a story that is and how big of a problem it it, it is so it's you know really uh, kind of a, a, an issue of perspective. Right. Well, it's tough, right? Because there are so many fronts from which the insider attack can come. Um, so in your opinion, where does the responsibility lie for stopping insider threats? Is it with HR? Is it with employees or managers? Uh, who attacks that? So really it needs to come from the highest levels within the organization and the reason why I say that is because you could have HR you could have a security uh, you know an information security officer a CISO or uh, you could have different groups that are saying okay well we need to be secure this is these are the things but you have to have the buy-in from the highest level in order to make that actual that that uh, idea or that thought become a reality, to be honest. So if the IT, if you have an IT staff that's trying to put security measures in place, but that is, that's coming, that's the direction of IT and they're trying to push their direction and try to, you know, act in what they think is in the best in interest of, you know, I'll just say a company for, for this, uh, then if you have somebody else who is at a higher level, at a VP or uh, at a, in a C-level position, that they're more worried about, you know, bottom dollar or production or, you know, they're, they're looking at it from a financial standpoint, they're not going to want to, A, spend the money to be able to put, you know, these measures in place, and B, the first time that something happens that gets blamed on security or an appliance or some sort of a solution that they have there to protect the business, the first thing that they're going to say is, well, this is affecting our ability to do business or we cannot stop, we, we can't have measures in place that are going to stop our employees from being productive. Uh, so, you know, when you're looking at it, it, it really has to be supported from the highest level so that there's no way to get around those measures or be able to um, e either socially or from, you know, a political side w within a corporation be able to get around it. it. It's something that has to be in place and uh, pushed from the top down so that there is no way to be able to circumvent those measures. Yeah, so you're saying responsibility is spread across the organization. It can't just be IT, but you need the buy-in from that leadership? Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it is definitely everyone's responsibility. But even if, uh, you know, I've worked for organizations where, you know, we did user training, we did everything. But as soon as, you know, it came to dollars and cents, then that sensibility came went, went out the window. And, you know, you groups were able to get around that. Developers were trying to um, develop things on their own or in the cloud, and there's no oversight. And, you know, without those checks and balances, there's no way to ever be able to protect yourself. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty tall order, trying to, to take that security, I guess, paradigm, for lack of a better word, and make it like integral to the organization. How do you do that? Like what's what does that process look like? You know, you're you're talking about a paradigm shift or a, a shift in the way that organizations do business and uh, you know, as mentioned, it really needs to start from the, the top down. You can't have a single group of, you know, either IT, a security group, uh, or even the employees, you could train or you could have a bunch of different measures in place, but unless you have that buy-in from the top, uh, you're not going to be able to make that happen. So uh, what really needs to happen is going to be a combination of you know buy-in and education of the leaders, whether it's a leader of a country, whether it's the leader of a corporation, or the leader of a team. Everybody has to be on the same page and they all have to have the same vision in the end in order to make this work. Uh, it is it is a tall order. There's a lot going on and it's only getting worse. So, you know, when you're looking at it, there are different solutions out there that, w- that we could talk about that, you know, are more effective than others, different things within uh, that, that, that we're seeing being released from different manufacturers that have new ways of looking at things or being able to uncover or identify things. Uh, and, you know, we, we could go and talk that way. But, uh, you know, before we do that, I have to go back and say, you know, that, that it has to be done from the top down. It has to be a similar vision or singular vision it really has to be hand in hand from the top down. Sure. Well, short of that cultural shift, just from a more technological perspective, what are the solutions currently in place that IT teams have implemented on a federal level? So the the biggest shift that we've seen in the last couple of years is uh, the, the, the understanding and the requirement to be able to identify the traffic that's going across the network. So for, for many years, you had... IT teams that had all of these different applications or uh, different parts of the network or, or enclaves and it's like, okay, well, I'll throw a box in front of it and it'll kind of block some things go- from going through, but there's not really that great of checks and balances. Um, so we'll, we'll just, you know, as long as we put a firewall in place or something like that, we'll, we'll say that we're secure. Uh, and what we have come to find out is that there's a lot of areas that that aren't covered or, uh, you know, where those appliances are in place uh, where you're not able to see what, what's going on or get a true depiction of that traffic or, or what's flowing across the network. Um, we've seen a lot of different um solutions coming out recently that you know tend to do that they're looking at application visibility and things like that but uh one 
of the solutions uh, in particular that are more at the forefront would be Cisco's uh, StealthWatch solution. So we've seen a lot of traction with that. And the reason why we, we've seen a shift to uh, you know this type of a security model or this type of a solution is because you have to have that visibility into all of the network or all of the traffic going across your network. If you don't have that, you're blind to a lot of different things. So I can't tell you how many different situations where I've gone into an IT shop and asked, okay, well, can you tell me all the applications going across the network? Or if we need to put this appliance in, can you tell me what we need to open up so that we don't stop production from you know working uh, on your side? Um, and it, it's one of those things where the majority of the time the answer is, no, well, we don't know everything, or uh, you know, I, we we think we know or whatever, and then you end up putting a solution in place. You put a stealth watch in place, uh, something that's that's able to look at every flow going across the network. It's not just a boundary. It's not only grabbing, you know, or looking at north and south traffic. It's also looking at the east and west. So, uh, in traditional security uh, stacks, when when you look at it, you're blocking traffic from going one way, and it's usually from the inside to the outside. So, you know, from your users to the internet or from your users to uh, a, a group of applications or, or something of that sort. And that's what we would call the north and south traffic. Uh, east and west is everything else in between. So it's my computer going to the printer. It's my computer accessing, you know, the HR database or, you know, shared files or, you know, different corporate applications that we're using. Well that's been a blind spot for a very long time and the solutions that have been in place have been very um, obtrusive when you think about it from that well, you, well I want to put a firewall in between all my users and my data center or you know all the applications that we use well the first time that something happens well the firewall gets blamed or you know it's this appliance that you put in StealthWatch is different from that uh, the way that StealthWatch works is it has these different sensors across the network and it's looking at every piece of traffic that's going across the network. So it's identifying the user information, who the user is, where they're going, what they're accessing, how much of that they're accessing. Are they pulling down, you know, maybe one or two Word documents a day that might be a meg or a couple of megs? Or are they transferring hundreds of gigs worth of, uh, you know, install files or you know in a development stack you see this all the time where they're moving uh, different images for you know softwares that they're creating or different you know pieces of hardware or code or things like that so it allows you to look at an individual either you know user from that example uh, standpoint or from you know the machine standpoint from anything that's sending any sort of traffic across the network, it's able to see. It takes the information from these different sensors that you put across the network, pulls them into a single dashboard, it correlates all the information, and it gives you the entire picture of everything going on across your network. So it's identifying all the applications, all the users. Uh, and then, you know, from there, that's, you know, half the battle, it is knowing what's going on within the network and having that visibility and being able to identify all that. You can now, you know, as you're thinking about it, okay, well, I know everything that's going across the network at this point. 
we've never had this visibility before. This is completely different. This is great. Oh my God, we have, you, you look, look at all this data we have. The, the next thing is, what do you do with it? So that's the next piece where it really stands out. I could put an appliance that just collects NetFlow on the network, and it's a dumb appliance. All it's doing is just logging the data. If I want to, I could search it if I think there's an issue, or you know maybe the link between two offices uh, is completely saturated, or someone can't get to the internet, we look, and our utilization's 100%. Well, I could use that if I know what I'm looking for and try to identify data, but that's not really helpful with trying to be proactive, and it does not help you whatsoever when you're trying to identify any anomalies or any malicious activ activity across the network. So where StealthWatch takes that to the next level or takes the, the next step in that evolution is it's correlating all this data and it, now it's starting to map the pieces together. It's starting to create profiles. It's starting to basically uh, utilize uh, logic behind it to fingerprint you know, machines and uh, users across the network. And then you're starting to be able to pick up patterns and, and you know, correlate and add all this data together. Well, I know, you know that, Martin, when you come in, you access a, a couple of the file shares and then you hit you know, you, you print out some information and you may, you know, visit Facebook and stuff like that. Well, you have all that and you're able to create a baseline for, for these users or for uh, the different machines across the network. Well, StealthWatch takes that even a step further on top of that once, you know, you're taking and you're creating these baselines and creating these profiles for your users or, you know, for these machines across the network. Well, we know for the last 30 days you've accessed five things within the network. So on day 31 you come in and you start trying to hit HR files or you start trying to look through different file shares, different things like that where you typically, you know, you, when, when you look over the, the history of, you know, your activity across the network, it's not normal for you to do that. So that right there is an anomaly. So we're going to flag that. We're going to identify that. We're going to start to make this information that we're gathering. Yes, we're gathering all this information, and it's great. Well, now we may need to make it intelligent. We need to make it actionable. And we have to uh, be able to present it in a way to where it's not providing too much information. When you look at the raw, the, uh, raw flows themselves, there's a lot of information in there, but I don't want to look at all that. I just want to know what's important and what I need to, you know, pay attention to or what I need to take action on. And, and that's really what this solution does. Uh, it takes all that information and it makes it usable. It correlates all of it. It identifies anomalies, um, not only by, you know, my example there was saying, okay, well, your account started accessing, you know, different things. So that could have been negligent. That could have been malicious. Maybe you're trying to pull, pull information. Uh, maybe, you know, Joe who sits next to you has the same job as you, but maybe you want to know how much they make so that you could figure out, you know, and use that information for personal gain or whatever. That's, you know, another way to be able to, to utilize that. Or, uh, you know, from that perspective, well, maybe it isn't you. Maybe it's malicious maybe, or you know maybe it's maybe your machine has been compromised so uh you know you work eight to five maybe 
it's not only looking at HR files, but it's doing it at 6 p.m. and you're not in the office. So let's start taking this information and, and making it usable, making it actionable, uh, and, and allowing us to use the data that's already been there for years that we just haven't had a way to leverage. Mm-hmm. So that pattern recognition aspect, uh, the anomaly detection, is that unique to StealthWatch? In other words, how does StealthWatch compare to other solutions on the market? So there are other solutions that allow you to look at the traffic across the network, Uh, but it's in the majority of cases, it's only in certain places across the network uh, where typically you don't have uh, multiple sensors. You may have a firewall set up that's capturing uh, some of the traffic. Maybe it's a boundary firewall or you know an internet-facing firewall. So you're seeing that traffic, but you're not seeing everything go you know lateral or go east-west across the network. Uh, so there are solutions that can do pieces of this, but by doing pieces of it, you're only seeing pieces of information or pieces of the puzzle. You're not getting the entire story. Uh, So on top of the fact that you have a a full solution like this that is able to give you complete visibility across the network, uh, you have the different intelligence that's behind the StealthWatch uh, product now, which is not only what were you know the the Landcope engineers and uh, you know what was originally Landcope before Cisco acquired it. Now they've added that group in. They've added it in with uh, the Cisco Talos group, which is one of the largest security organizations in the world. Uh, that group is analyzing trillions of you know files and and pieces of information a day that they're seeing from having the the largest global customer base in the world from an IT and security perspective uh, taking all that information as well and they're using that and they're using the signatures and the the anomalies or the malicious uh, findings that that they have and they're feeding and building that information into StealthWatch as well so you not only have you know a singular or point product that you know uh, is a singular solution or you know part of a solution set uh, is being fed by everything else within the Cisco security ecosystem, and that's a really strong story. That's a lot of intelligence that they're putting behind a singular platform. Yeah, wow. So it sounds like there's a, a huge amount of expertise behind this and driving StealthWatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The um, you know the the bigger piece of that, or uh, if you want to expand upon that a little bit more, not only the intelligence that's being put into StealthWatch uh, that's being identified by the other you know Cisco solutions, uh, there there's been an incredible amount of work being done within the integration of these solutions within the uh, you know Cisco ecosystem or the Cisco architecture where uh, StealthWatch now is able to, when it identifies something, notify another appliance or another solution uh, that Cisco has, and that's able to enforce or take action on an endpoint based on what StealthWatch is seeing. So if it's seeing anomalous behavior or if it's seeing uh, traffic coming from an endpoint that indicates that there's a virus on it or a piece of malware or it's trying to like phone home or go back to like a command and control server, that information will be passed along to ICE. Well, the solution is Cisco ICE. It'll be passed along to that. And ICE has the ability to shut the computer off of the network. 
to shut down the port, to quarantine it, to take action on it, to send it so that it alerts somebody or whatever. So not only do you have all of the intelligence and what you're seeing within, you know, StealthWatch itself, it's integrated with uh, ICE or it's integrating with, uh, you know, their firewalls and things like that, where it's taking the the information and making it actionable and automating a lot of that process so it's identifying it it's alerting you but it's able to you know if you enable it to be a piece that will allow to automate your security remediation and that's an extremely uh powerful story when, when you're talking about uh being able to identify something on a machine and then go through your remediation efforts uh, and going across and manually looking across a bunch of different machines across the network to, okay, as soon as it's identified on this first machine, we're going to stop it before it could spread or go anywhere else. We're going to automate that and then let you know. So, okay, we've already taken action. We've taken care of this. It's sitting over, you know, in, in this enclave where it can't get to anything else and it's not able to impact anything else. You guys just have to go get it now. So when, when you look at that from an operational standpoint, uh huge success story being able to take you know either time to detect a threat and uh, take action on it and identify what it is to being able to you know automatically remediate it rather than having to find it and then have that gap of time in between to be able to, to detect and then fully remediate something that's going on across the network. So as an engineer, what of those integrations is your favorite? What excites you the most about StealthWatch? The thing that excites me the most in having an operational background with StealthWatch is the visibility and the uh, correlations and the intelligence behind the platform itself. Uh, you know, I've been in a situation where my company had been compromised, uh, and we had movement across the network and trying to get access to different things and uh, trying to, you know, basically steal our intellectual property. Um, having that visibility would have prevented a lot of this, would have saved me a lot of headache and a lot of sleepless nights, uh, trying to remediate things if I knew where they were to begin with and not trying to, you know, uh, chase ghosts across the network. Um, that's hugely, you know, that would have been one of the saving graces for for going through you know a situation like that or, or having to go through and being able to do a full remediation across a, a business that had you know multiple offices and it was international so anything could go anywhere within the network and you have no visibility you have no idea really what's going on you're trying to you know do the best to protect it but don't really have that visibility as far as the integration, the thing that excites me the most is the automation piece and the integration between uh, StealthWatch and ICE. Uh, being able to identify and see that information and then have something like Cisco ICE uh, take action on it and completely automate that that process and be able to protect you without having to have hu human intervention it is just huge. I mean, it, you talk about um, AI or artificial intelligence, which is becoming larger and larger within the security realm. But you, we have a solution here between you know StealthWatch and ICE that's already capable of doing that 
and it's here today. It's not something like we're looking at, you know, Terminator or something like that, or we're waiting on something in 2022 to come out. That's going to be able to do that. We have this capability today, and it's something that I think uh, a lot more organizations should be leveraging. So the capabilities that StealthWatch gives an IT team as far as visibility is concerned, um, do you think that that's going to further the cause of getting buy-in from leadership at all, or do you think this is kind of siloed to the IT team? No, I 100% think that it'll further the cause of getting buy-in, especially from the executive level. So not only is it a cool like little techie tool that you know our our security guys could geek out on or nerd out on uh it's one of the things that when you look at the intelligence or reporting behind it the uh you know graphical information that it gives you being able to take that information in a report format and give that to your CISO or give it to the cio or whatever uh, whoever uh you know you may need to be reporting into being able to provide that in you know in the form of pretty pictures or you know a graphical uh, graphical information and not just you know the security engineer saying oh yeah we're we're secure we're protected you know you, you, I got you on this one uh, you, you actually have the data to be able to back you up and be able to prove that you are so you know you're able to prove leverage the network leverage the investments that you have within you know your infrastructure and uh, be able to prove that you are secure or, you know, in, in the case of anything, say any, any sort of a compromise would happen, that it was remediated and it's not being seen anymore. Great. Well, Pete, thanks for talking with us. All right. Thank you very much, Martin. Again, that was Pete Burke, a senior technical consultant at Force 3, and you've been listening to Through the Firewall. This has been Through the Firewall with Force 3. Force 3.